Happy Saturday. It's June 11th, 2022, and you are listening to Morning Meeting. I'm Ashley Baker. And I am Michael Haney. And we are two of your deputy editors here at Airmail. Welcome to June. Ashley, things are crazy. It's a crazy week. I've decided this week to, to, is going to be split into work and play. We've got a little bit of both. I like that. Are you lying down as you tell me about this? Oh, I like that transition. Why don't you tell us about that? I should be lying down, right? There are a lot of good stories to read in Airmail this week, but the most depressing one is by far the art of lying down, which is our view from here. It turns out that lying down is not just something you used to do at night. It is a legitimate movement that is happening amongst professionals all over the world. The Chinese call it Tang Ping, as our writer Julia Hobsbawm says this week. It started among high-achieving professional middle class in China as a rejection of the always-on, always-in push for tech growth, right? And they just decided to say, we've had enough of it. You know, Michael, here's the thing about this. Like, it sounds like a complicated social movement, the lying down movement. It's not. It's very simple. Instead of working, you just lie down. You take to your bed. It's basically the real-life version of one of my favorite books of the past few years, My Year of Rest and Relaxation writ large. No need to do anything. Just take to your bed. No, and now it seems to be coming to American offices in the post-pandemic world where people are like saying, you know what, I'm just going to kind of opt out. You you even saw Elon Musk in the last week basically having to say to people, either you're back in the office or you're getting fired, right? So, you know, that's his version of, you might want to lie down. If you lie down, you're going to be run over. Or if you don't show up, you're going to be let go. You know, look, power to Elon for putting down his mandates and trying to force people to do things that they don't want to do. But we'll see how this plays out. I think, you know, talent is not going to stand for this. Gen Z does not like to be told what to do anyway. And who can blame them? Who really does? Uh, But I think that, you know, in order to retain quality employees, you're going to have to make some concessions. So Elon might tell them to get back to work or consider their jobs gone, but I don't really think it's going to play out that way. We shall see. It made me think that this week, Boris Johnson survived in the UK. You know, maybe he's survived another day. Whether he wins the long term, we don't know. He gets to keep his job a bit longer for surviving his no-confidence vote. But if he does lose his position and gets has to get a new job, he may find himself, it came to me, like many people in the UK who are now embarking on a different sort of work alternative. Thousands of employees across 70 businesses in the UK are now engaged in a trial program to see if the four-day work week can be efficient as the five-day work week. So lots of evolution happening out there, but we'll see what happens, right? To me, it's just marketing, right? Who's ever had a five-day work week? Like, what does that even mean? Maybe, <laughs> maybe this is just me, but... I feel like I work on Saturdays and Sundays, and it's not out of any sense of, of airmail obligation at all. It's just simply that we work in the news business, we're journalists, and therefore we're always on. I'm not an accountant, right? Like, it doesn't work for my job for me only to be available at certain hours of the day. Like, I'm expected to respond to the news, so are you. And so are a lot of, a lot of people in our business, and a lot of people in many fast-moving businesses like that. So... You guys can sit, talk about the four-day work week all you want, but like all hell is going to break loose if you have massive swaths of the population who just simply are not signing on on Fridays. Like, we'll see how this goes. All hell is going to break loose if Ashley Baker is not on the beat, okay? Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Whatever. Like, they can talk about it all they want, but the reality is in order to be effective in your work, you do have to be responsive when it is required. I like the idea of healthy boundaries, and I admire the people that are able to stick with them, but I simply do not have them. Yeah. And speaking of people's jobs and evolve, We've got a very great piece of reporting this week by Bill Cohan about someone who 
lost their job in the Me Too fallout, the cancel culture moment, but has decided it's time for him to come back, right? We could have titled this piece, Charlie Rose Has No Shame. Turns out that despite the fact that the guy was canceled and accused of all sorts of sexual harassment, he you know, he kind of hung back for a while, didn't really do very much for the past few years. And all of a sudden he's come out with his own interview series, which he's releasing on his own website and his personal channels. His first interview being the well-known conversation with Warren Buffett. I don't know how I feel about this. Like I, I look, I watched Charlie Rose for a long time. I thought he was great, but like there certainly should be room for new voices to be coming up at this particular moment. Like what's your view? It's going to be interesting to see what happens. He's as, as Bill reports, Charlie Rose is a little like Bob Dylan or Bruce Springsteen right now. He's been hard at work packaging all his extensive content from across the years, his decades of interviews, and he's hoping to sell it along with his website. There have been no takers so far. But as Bill reports, during the pandemic, he wrote and circulated among his friends a 75-page treatise on why he deserves a second chance. Now, I guess the public will be the decider of whether they want to give him a second chance and whether they're interested in what he has to say and show. Look, it's about who deserves a second chance and who deserves to be forgiven. But it's a fascinating piece of reporting by Bill. And I strongly urge you all to read it. It's pretty, pretty eye-opening. And you have to love the doggedness of this guy too, right? He's at a point in his career where many of his compatriots would be hanging it up and, you know, going off into Florida for a pleasant retirement existence or whatever. But Charlie Rose is like, no, I've been canceled. My career is over and I am hell-bent on coming back. How old is he? Late 70s? 80 years old. The guy is 80 years old. Like, let's contrast that with the lying down movement, okay? People a quarter of his age are not going to work because they are simply too burned out and can't handle it. Meanwhile, you've got Charlie Rose, who's like, I will do whatever it takes to come back. You know, it's it's just, it's to me so emblematic of these two different generations. He's he's He should, he should be lying down with a stake driven through his heart. Instead, he's like pulling it out and here he is like coming back. Only I can interview Buffett. Like, no, dude, plenty <laughs> of other people can interview Buffett. It's fine. Exactly. We don't need you. I'm sorry to say. There are lots of great interviewers out there. We're happy to make some recommendations if anyone needs to know. Mark Elwood wrote a story for us about where the oligarchs are spending their summer vacations. And I wanted to title it Wet Hot Oligarch Summer, but then I was afraid people wouldn't get the reference. But anyway, the point is, is that the oligarchs are not entirely sitting out this summer season. They're just going to places you didn't expect. Okay, Ashley, so we're sticking with our second theme of the episode this week, which is play. We've had work and we have play. And, you know, everyone, it seems that I know is heading to Europe, but one group of people that won't you won't be seeing in Europe this summer is probably the oligarchs. I mean, as Europe has turned its back on the oligarchs, now the question is, where will all these oligarchs tan their hairy backs? And we've got the man who's figured that out, Mark Elwood, who is a written written for airmail before about the Turmoil Inside Mode Operandi. He's also a columnist for Bloomberg Pursuits and the author of Bargain Fever, How to Shop in a Discount World. And he's got the skinny on where <laughs> the oligarchs will be summering this year. Mark, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Tell us what you've learned about, I mean, where the oligarchs, you know, their yachts are confiscated, their jets are confiscated. Where will they be this summer, if not along the Mediterranean and, and, and points in between? So it's interesting. It depends what passport you have. If you didn't think ahead, which is very unusual for most of the oligarchs, they're heading to the stands. 
because it's much easier to get to the stands. Most of them are visa-free for a wealthy Russian. And by stands, we mean the stands, we mean... (laughs) We mean Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, the Central Asian countries, which are culturally very much in the the Soviet-era orbit and therefore are connected from that time to Russians even though they have very, very strong connections to Asia as well. You can fly there very easily from Russia. There's lots of air connections and they feel welcome. I think the key thing here is not just about red tape. I think if you talk to any wealthy Russian, they will say, I don't like how I'm reacted to by being Russian at the moment. So partly they're heading to the stands because there's less opprobrium around just being Russian. It's not a sort of social faux pas to be Russian. And that's a big shaping factor here, not just what they're allowed to do. Right. So they're, they're sort of opting out of Europe, so self-isolating mm-hmm. as it were. Um, <laughs> and uh, But you also, I think you mentioned uh, some of them are also going to Turkey too, right? Yeah, indeed. Turkey's another yeah. visa, again, visa-free visa free travel for a Russian passport holder. Very easy to get there. A lot of, a lot of Russian transit at the moment is via the, the Emirates and the Middle East because there are a lot of airlift. There's a lot of airlift there. So even if there's not a direct flight somewhere, there will be one from Dubai, Abu Dhabi, wherever. So Russians are sort of, they're, they're, kind of, they're sort of siphoning themselves through the Emirates and that gives them connection to way more places. Right. I think as you pointed out, this this kind of reshaping of their travel plan started in the winter with Korshaval and them the sort of like having to surrender that former uh, outpost, right? But now I love what you've discussed, what, how my, my eyes open to the small details of life, thanks to Mark Elwood, which is <laughs> there's one destination in Europe, though, where the Russian presence remains strong. And what is that and why is that? It is Forte di Marmi, which is on the Tuscan coast. And it's somewhere I went constantly as a child. So I know it very well. It wasn't historically Russian, but a Russian film director discovered it and really loved it. And Flavio Briatore, the sort of playboy who's Heidi Klum, who's the father of Heidi Klum's first child, who's very much a man about town, he owns a nightclub there and he really marketed it to the Russians. And they bought houses there en masse. They also made sure that if they owned houses in Forte di Marmi, they had a European passport. And the easiest Schengen era passport to purchase is a Maltese one. So most of the Russians who have houses in Forte di Marme are able to get there and went there before the war broke out. They actually spent a lot of the pandemic there because they used their Maltese passport to get in. So they were already there when all of the barriers went up. This is the other detail you've got here is one reason that they love Forte di Marme rather than why are they not on the Amalfi Coast? <laughs> I think this is amazing. If you picture, everyone knows the Jersey Shore, you know, these huge, vast golden beaches. Imagine cutting the Jersey Shore off and pasting it onto the west coast of Italy. That is what the Tuscan coast looks like. Gorgeous, enormously wide sands. And the Russians don't like rocky beaches. So one of the reasons they're not down in Amalfi en masse, they want 
beachy beaches. They don't want the rocky beaches like you got in Amalfi or even like, they're not going to be in, in the south of England either, you know, uh, on those. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> we, can, we can rule that one out too, right? I think we can. I think we can. Yeah. I guess everyone is, is just adjusting to the new world. Um, have you seen anything where wealthy Ukrainians will be this summer? You will find some wealthy Ukrainians in Forte de Marmi. Uh, Vladimir Zelensky actually owns a villa there. I don't think he'll be going, but you will see wealthy Ukrainians pretty much anywhere the Russians are. Interestingly, I've been working a, a little bit on some stories about the Côte d'Azur, which I think is synonymous with rich Russians. It's become a sort of Ruski by the sea. A lot of those Russians are not coming this year. They stopped coming in big numbers in 2014 where there are another set of sanctions. And you're seeing a huge Ukrainian community. So the Eastern Europeans on the Côte d'Azur this summer, if in doubt, they'll be Ukrainian. So I guess the good news here, less oligarchs, more rosé to go around for everyone. Uh, you know, more room at the Oons Oons nightclubs on the dance floor. And, uh, you know, I guess maybe, maybe the Airbnb rentals will be a little cheaper. Who knows? But it's the way the, way the quote-unquote revenge travel is going, where everyone seems to be heading to Europe. Prices are, are probably still going to be pretty high, right? You're not going to get it, but I will say, Americans are the new Russians. Whoa, wait, what, what, what? <laughs> You've got an accent there, son. Americans are the new Russians. I mean, again, in, in, at least in spend, a travel agent I know said to me, you know, most of my five-star clients are spending 50% more per head this year versus 2019. So all of those penthouses that used to be full of bling-bling Russians, you're going to hear American accents in them this summer. I, I think it's less that the Americans are the Russians, and this is really what I see as the American Marshall Plan version of vacation spending, you know? Oh, I like it. Yeah, yeah. Like it. Someone's got to make up for that that shortcoming of economic uh, stimulus. And, you know, so the Americans have taken it upon their backs to, you know, like, hey, we've got to make up for this shortfall of spending. Let's just book an extra suite at the, at the hotel and, you know... Just, just to help the guys out in Italy. It's vacation as civic duty, which I think is the best excuse of all. Exactly. Exactly. Anything I haven't asked you that you, you want to share with us? I think it's really interesting to think about where the Russians will go in future. Once things cool down, I think they'll use those European passports when there's less social opprobrium. I bet summer 2023... Europe will be full of Russians all over again. You'll be the man to, to, to track it? <laughs> I'll take a look at it again. Mark, where are you headed this summer? Anywhere that we can live vicariously? I'm headed to the Mediterranean. I'm going on a lovely silver sea cruise around around the Med to Malta and, and uh, to Montenegro, actually, which is another big Russian enclave. And I'm off to Monaco in a couple of weeks for a couple of stories, also to look at sort of what's happening to the Russians in Monaco. I'm hunting a lot of Russians this summer. And more than a few people listening to this be like, I want to punch this guy in the face right now. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. I, I deserve I deserve every pummeling. So go ahead. Well, Mark, thank you. Safe travels. And um, don't forget your sunscreen. Thank you so much. All right. Well, one thing's for sure. You know, it's interesting. I had lunch yesterday, Michael, with some of our friends from the Hotel Ducap. And they were telling me that Hotel Ducap is more booked. It, that Hotel Ducap has always been book solid in the summer, but now the summer is starting earlier than ever. They're booked throughout May. They're booked through September. And it's not Russians, of course, as you can imagine. It is, in fact, Americans. Apparently, it's us, Michael. We are the ones that are hot to travel. We can't get enough. We're going to Europe. We're not letting it stop. 
You're going to be seeing us everywhere this summer. So Europeans, we apologize in advance. There we go. We'll be taking over your streets with our fanny packs and our Tevas. Speak for yourself. That's not you. But, um, <laughs> you never know, dear. You never know. I love a belt bag. If a Hotel du Cap is too crowded, Linda Wells has another suggestion on where one could go, right? Boo. I love Linda, but I do not want to go to the ranch in Italy. No. Yeah, I don't either. This is like, you know, in the world of if you really want to sort of like get in shape and maybe lose a few pounds and uh, do you really want to go to the Abundanza and Manja Manja for um, a spa sort of cleanse? No. Like when I go to Italy, there's no cleansing happening at all. There's just simply indulgence and fun. Negroni spritz pasta, Negroni spritz pasta, like that's my formula and it works for me. Well, Linda bravely and, you know, selflessly took this on, right? Yeah, Linda. I mean, look, she's Linda's not only an incredible writer, she is our beauty and wellness guru here at Airmail. And she was also the founding editor-in-chief of Allure, who spent 25 years at that magazine. So she knows her stuff. She's going to set us straight on the ranch in Italy. Welcome, Linda. Hello. I feel so fit now. So have you been to the ranch in Malibu? How did you first hear about this phenomenon? I have. I, I went to the ranch 10 years ago and, you know, I heard about it because I, I was the editor of Allure and that was what we did all the time. So I went there with two friends and it took me 10 years to go back. It's kind of like, you know, forgetting, wanting to forget childbirth and you can't get pregnant until you do. It was really hard. But really effective. And in terms of sort of resetting my whole mental state and my physical behavior. So then when I heard about this new ranch opening in Italy, it just seems so incongruous to go to Italy and not eat pasta and drink wine and to be punishing yourself the entire time that I thought, I've got to go. I'm in. Okay. So you're, you're a braver woman than I, but what was it like when you got there and how did it differ from the ranch that you'd experienced in Malibu? It was a very funny place because it's in this place called Palazzo Fiuji that is a medical spa where people go for the traditional taking of the waters. You know, you read Thomas Mann and you think about those old spas where they lounge around a lot and they get medical diagnostics and they get like, there are all sorts of, there's a whole medical menu that takes up about 12 or 13 pages and with things on it that I've never heard of, but things I have heard of a lot like Botox injections and lasers and fillers. So there's this whole pop, the whole population of people who are lounging and they're wearing these white robes. And then there are the ranch people who are sweating and coming back dirty and, you know, in this beautiful marble palace. So it was a very interesting contrast. Okay. What was the day like at the ranch? Just walk us through your experience. Well, you wake up at 5.30 and then you do a little stretch and then you have breakfast and breakfast is like granola or oatmeal or a smoothie. And then you put on all your gear and you go to the mountains and hike for about four plus hours. And the hikes are incredibly beautiful. You almost see no people. They're on different terrain. They're hard though. They're really, really hard hikes. And you wouldn't think so because they don't look, you know, dangerously steep, but it's just the relentlessness of it. So you hike and then they give you a snack in the middle of the hike. And one day they didn't give me a snack and I was just in a state of absolute terror. But they count out six almonds and give you six almonds. So that's kind of legendary. You don't get seven, you don't get five, you get six. And then you come back 
have lunch and lounge a bit. Lots of people just fell dead asleep, but we were so tired. And then the afternoon, you have fitness classes, yoga, a workout, and a massage. And then dinner, and then you go to bed about 8.30. So it sounds to me like the objective of this place is weight loss, but is that not an idea that they emphasize there in terms of the ranch culture? How do they describe it? They describe themselves as a luxury boot camp or a wellness retreat. And I think a lot of people go there for weight loss. A lot of actors and performers go there before they have to do nude scenes or whatever. And so I think there is that desire among people to lose weight, but it's played so quietly. And I think that that's truer today than it was 10 years ago, where it was a little bit more overt. People you know, it's that diet culture is now looked down upon so much and thought of as so damaging. And so I didn't even want to participate in it. I didn't want to think about it. I hadn't weighed myself since the beginning of COVID. So I was eating pasta every day, but not weighing myself, which is a dangerous combination. But so I really sort of didn't want to participate in it either. No one talked about weight. And we all got weighed and measured when we arrived. And on our last day, we got weighed and measured and nothing was discussed. So I'm still hung up on the um, on the six almonds, but I'll, I'll let go of that because <laughs> that, just, that just sounds like something I wouldn't sign up for. But did you see any bad behavior by people? You know, these people go, oftentimes you hear sort of people like start to sneak away to, into town. Did you, any, any bad behavior that, that transpired there? Oh my gosh, there was so much bad behavior. And, and there, of course, even the Malibu one where it's absolutely near nothing. People would order Ubers and be driven out to Nobu Malibu. But in this one, people really started falling apart by like midway through. So the misbehavior started out really small. Like uh, one woman said she had all these kind bars in her room. Like, if you ever want a kind bar, come into my room, you know, as if she was a drug smuggler. And then she left early because she didn't realize that there was, this was a meatless spa. And it's kind of like, oh, how did you not realize that? It's kind of all over. It's vegan. It's all over everything. But um, so she took her kind bars with her when she left after the second day. One guy went into town and got bananas and that was like what bananas like that was some sort of real violation it was so funny and then someone else snuck into town and got a cappuccino and then this couple they were so funny they decided to get weighed and measured and then on the last before the last night and then on the last night they went to town and they had dinner at a restaurant And they came back the next day and they regaled us with what they ate. And I've never heard of more food in my life. They had two bottles of wine at dinner. Each had a grappa. It was like 15 jillion courses, dessert. And they were so happy. They could, they just, they were completely unapologetic about it all. And how much does this experience of deprivation cost? It is not inexpensive. It's a little over $10,000, and then there's a 16% fee on top of that for gratuity and taxes. So it brings you to over 12000 for the Italy trip. Malibu is less expensive, partly because it's a sh- one day shorter. And the one in Italy has all these spa facilities, so you get the benefit of you know, a salt room and a cold plunge and a sauna. and a, So it's, it's expensive. And one person said, you know, oh, great, a thousand dollars a pound. I think it's probably more than a thousand dollars a pound, but it's really not the way to think about it. I don't think about it as, you know, weight loss as your, you know, your KPI. Instead, it's really about kind of changing your mindset and changing your behavior and breaking bad habits of all sorts. And you really do come back feeling fantastic. How, how many days ago did you return, Linda? Uh, a little over two weeks. 
Okay. And two weeks later, how are you feeling and how do you think the experience really impacted you? I mean, I feel amazing. I feel so good. And I feel like I broke. I'm not eating pasta at dinner every single night. So that's a real plus. And I just feel a lot more refreshed. Like a really, I feel like I have a good, healthy attitude about life. Let's see how long that lasts. Linda, just while we have you too, because people always ask me, uh, what is Linda recommending? And you do such a great job uh, recommending, but is products and, and uh, things. But is there anything, speaking of traveling, that you would recommend everyone tuck in their, their DOP kit as they travel this summer for, for moisturizer or sun, what, any, anything that you think is a good product to carry? Of course, Michael. I always have products and I have gobs of them. I think the thing for the summer you want to have is sunscreen, obviously. Sunscreen's kind of complicated right now because so many are dangerous to reefs so or they're dangerous to people or, you know, they're ineffective. I'm a big fan of supergoop sunscreens and I think their unseen sunscreen is the greatest sunscreen, particularly for people who don't like sunscreen because it's absolutely invisible. So love that sunscreen so much. And what I think is interesting is I feel like people are moving away from the tan and the spray tan. I don't know what you've seen, but I feel as if people aren't even worried about faking it anymore. They're just going out completely pale white or whatever their skin color is naturally. I'd be happy to show you. My my legs are below pale white. <laughs> yeah, I've, I'm registering on a new level of, yeah. It scares children, but you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah, but I don't think people are doing the spray tan. I did one in LA, Linda, when I was there, like probably in January, and all my friends looked at me like I'd gone totally insane. And if it's demo day in LA, you know it's really out of style. <laughs> it's gone. It's history, right? Right. Yeah. Did you, did you also get a Von Dutch hat too, Ashley, and just like walk <laughs> around? Like, what, full Lindsay Lohan, or what were you doing? I think Von Dutch hats are about to come back, Michael, so I might have been two years ahead of it. No. I go to LA and I start like wearing like Doen and like, you know, having spending $19 on iced coffee and my smoothies and it's great floating around in uh, Doan and um in Birkenstocks like high end Birkenstocks yeah no like the six hundred dollar Rick Owen ones yeah yeah exactly with socks <laughs> <laughs> totally you guys caught me we know you <laughs> well Linda thank you so much for joining us it is we always love your column and we always love talking to you so hopefully the next time we see you it will be over a glass of white wine and not those six almonds yes let's look forward to that. Thank you both so much. Thank you for suffering for all of us, Linda. Was <laughs> for you. I suffer Thanks. for you. Know you. She <laughs> suffers for her art listeners and just thank her. <laughs> all right. All right, Michael. That was great. Still not going. <laughs> oh, you make me laugh. Still not going. I get it. Okay. I'm not going to twist your arm. You'll find me at Rocioli on my third glass of wine and my second plate of pasta. No shame in my game. Mm-mm-mm. Oh, Michael, we should mention quickly that, you know, it is Jurassic World domination time, which I don't know about you. I will be seeing it in the theater. And we've got a really fun, perfect ending column this week from Jeff Goldblum, who stars in the film, who, of course, is the legendary Dr. Ian Malcolm in the Jurassic Park series. And it's really funny. You know, we have this column in many of our issues, and usually it's very straightforward. In this issue, Jeff decided to answer every single question that we asked him with some sort of cinematic reference. So not only does it give you a sense of what he likes and how he lives his life, but it's also a great bit of insight into his favorite movies. So if you need some summer viewing recommendations, Jeff's got the list. Yeah, it's, it's our uh, eternal calm where you answer 61 of life's most pressing questions. And it's, it's great that he turned it into a different bit of a parlor game. I like when he says, perfect family, Willie, Linda, Biff, and happy. And then 
first lady, first man, Michelle Obama, and Neil Armstrong. So pretty good. Cheeky guy. Cheeky, cheeky. All right. Well, Michael, it is the weekend. It is the summer. What on earth do you have to recommend? Speaking of Jeff Goldblum, it's a sci-fi horror movie he made in 1986 called The Fly, which was directed by another guy in the news recently, David Cronenberg, who shocked and offended the audience at Cannes with his disturbing new film, Crimes of the Future. I saw The Fly when it came out in theaters, and I have to admit that there are images that have haunted me ever since. And recently I screwed up the courage and rewatched it. You can get it on Apple TV. And I have to tell you, it really holds up, not just for the power of its suspense and horror, but largely because of Goldblum's performance and Gina Davis's. Now in the film, he plays an eccentric scientist who, after one of his experiments goes wrong, slowly turns into a fly-man hybrid creature. Yet there's a heartbreaking story as well because at the center of the film, it's about a happy young couple whose time together is cut short by illness. It's hard to believe how much is packed into 90 minutes, but you can watch it all on Apple TV the fly. And you, dear, what do you have? All right. Book of the week time. I'm reading the new novel from Tom Parada. It is called Tracy Flick Can't Win. Tracy Flick being the protagonist of Election, which was Parada's 1998 book. And of course, it became the movie that made Reese Witherspoon a phenomenon. Uh, Parada is so prolific as a novelist. He just comes out with a book, it seems like, every year. And thank goodness he has something new for us this summer. And this is a really fun sequel to Election. It's called Tracy Flick Can't Win, as I mentioned. And it picks up with Tracy in the present day. You know, she never quite became the president of the United States like she had promised to do. It, it revisits her adult life as an administrator in a school. She's a single mother raising a 10-year-old daughter, and she's working at a New Jersey high school. And, you know, life has disappointed her as it disappoints so many of us, but she still has her ambitions. And that is where we find her. So it's a really fun read. Great. I don't want to call it a beach read because it seems like a negative term, but you could certainly take it on vacation and it would not be a bad idea. Sounds fantastic. Let me have the copy when you finish. Great. Well, wishing you all a beautiful weekend. Thank you so much for joining us. Michael, please read us out. Absolutely. Morning Meeting is produced by Airplay Productions and edited by Jesse Cannon. Our co-editors are Graydon Carter and Alexander Stanley. Our chief operating officer is Bill Keenan and our deputy editors are Ashley Baker, Chris Garrett, Nathan King, and Julie Vitale. Our CMO is Emily Davis and our music supervisor is Randall Poster. Our theme music is The Cute Monster by the Buddy Colette Quintet. A new edition of Airmail is published every Saturday, so please subscribe and enjoy all of our stories on airmail.news, which we update every day. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at Airmail Weekly. We'll be back here next Saturday with another edition of Morning Meeting. In the meantime, be sure to subscribe at Spotify or Apple Music. But most of all, thank you for joining us.